are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey, everybody. This is Mark Ballow from the Jersey Guys podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Tom Coyne, and we've got a brand new episode for you today. Uh, today, we've got Tim Brown from the band Striker. They're a, a new wave of traditional heavy metal band out of Edmonton, Alberta. And we're going to talk to him today about the band's upcoming tour and the history of the band. So let's get right to it. Hey, everybody. This is Mark Ballow from the Jersey Guys podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Tom Coyne, and today we've got Tim Brown from the band Striker. How are you, Tim? I'm doing good. Happy to be here. Excellent. Thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate the talk. Oh, no worries. I figured I'd start off, and I want to ask you, I know you guys got a, a new album in the works and, and a new tour coming up. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we have a, a full North American tour with Beast in Black, which is a, a power metal band from Finland and other parts of Europe as well as uh, Seven Kingdoms is the other support act on there, and they're from Florida. So uh, some pretty good uh, global heavy metal representation on the tour. So that's that's really exciting, and we have some new songs coming out uh, in support of that tour. So those those haven't been uh, actually released yet, but we, we did show one of them off, uh, our song Death Wish, which came out late last year. And then we have, yeah, more more cool new tunes. So we've been trying to incorporate some new influences. So the three songs that are, are coming out, the first was Death Wish, and then we have two more coming out before the, the tour starts. Um, so, yeah, keep your keep your eyes and ears peeled for those. Excellent. Yeah, Death Wish was a great song. Uh, is that part of a, a new album that's going to be coming out? Yeah, we're doing a bunch of recording, and uh, we, we did some recording over the COVID holidays if you want to call it that <laughs> and uh yeah you know it's a sort of difficult time for everybody so we sort of you know reevaluated what we're doing and how we're doing it stuff like that and we've uh recorded some songs so we, we finished three songs and we're sort of working on a bunch of other ones at the moment but yeah we we expect to have some more music out we also have a, a, a summer tour over in Europe, so we'll have some more songs out for that as well, and then have the full album out, hopefully by the end of the year. Excellent. So, Tim, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the current lineup that's going to be going on the road. I, I know you have a new drummer, and um, is Chris in the band, or out of the? have you replaced him, or is he still in the band? I'm actually not sure. Yeah, so Chris Sager was uh, one of the founding members of Striker, and then he... Uh, Took an early retirement back, uh, I don't know, the mid 2010s or so, um, when uh, right after the release of our album City of Gold, I think it was in 2014. Um, and then uh, we got our friend Simon, uh, who coincidentally is also a ball dude, so they get confused <laughs> quite often. And Simon was uh, our guitar player for a couple of years there. Um, he was, he was sort of a session guy cause he, he also ran his own band called the order of chaos, which, um, our new drummer, Jono was also part of. So it was sort of Simon and Jono, uh, had their own band and then, uh, Chris eventually wanted to come back. So we're like, yeah, sure. Of course, you know, we're, we're all good friends. Um, and then, uh, Chris was back with us for a couple of years. We released our last album play to win with Chris on guitar and then yeah during the covid uh Chris got some you know life life changes Chris got some really good opportunities for his work and stuff like that and he he decided to make another retirement <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah so Simon's back in the band so um it's Simon and Jono are our full-time members so uh yeah really looking forward to recording writing music with those guys we we had the, our three original songs 
uh, like Death Wish and the two other ones that are coming out before our tour were recorded with John. Um, so he he's playing on that, but uh, Simon will be on the the other new stuff. So we we haven't finished the rest of the album, but Simon will be on that. So that that'll be really fun and exciting. So this would actually make you the second uh, longest tenured member of the band currently. Yeah, I think uh, I have. How many albums do we have? <laughs> Six I albums, believe I you were on one, two, three, four. <laughs> got to check the Striker Metal Archives. I always forget what's going on. I got you on Play to Win. Playing so many shows. <laughs> I recorded on four Striker albums. Right. And then uh, obviously Dan, our, our singer, he's been on all of them. Um, and uh, yeah, I think... Uh, Chris was on one, two, three. He was also on four, I guess. Um, my brother Adam was on one, two. Adam goes back before you. Three. Uh, yeah, and then we had, we also had Randy Black, who is the current drummer from Destruction. Right. He was our session drummer because Adam broke his arm. <laughs> and so he's, he's played on two albums, too. So we've had a lot of different people uh, playing and filling in, stuff like that, so... It's uh, it's fun that people are you know interested enough to <laughs> want to play with us. <laughs> yeah, I got to see you guys in 2018 in Brooklyn, and then I saw you in 2019 on a co-headliner with Holy Grail in Brooklyn. Ah, uh, yeah, nice. Yeah, and the the show in 2018, I don't know if you remember it. I, you guys opened for somebody who who was the hot. Unleash the Archers. Yes, exactly. What I remember about it was I've, I probably have been dating back to the 70s, hundreds and hundreds of shows. It was the hottest club I was ever in in my life. People were literally <laughs> stripping during, during the show. It was like a 90-degree yeah, day, and, and uh, it was no air conditioning in the club. It was packed, and it was, but it was great. And um, when I saw you in 19, it was the co-headlining tour with Holy Grail, so you did a longer set, and it was with what, what I thought was the best lineup of the band, with your brother and Chris, yourself. So it'd be interesting, you know, I plan on going in May to see you guys when they, you play in Brooklyn again with a somewhat different lineup. Hell yeah, I remember that show, like, because we were wearing leather jackets and stuff on that tour, and exactly. then, it, like, literally on stage, yeah. <laughs> like, Dan whatever he would put his hand down, like water, I guess, sweat would just yeah. be like was, literally coming out of his It was the hottest show I ever remember being in, in my life. It was great, but it was just unbelievably hot. Yeah. That was at a place called uh, Gold Sound, I believe it was called in Brooklyn. And then I saw you guys in a different place in, um, when you co-headlined with Holy Grail. But looking forward to uh, this show, too. Now, when you go on the East Coast, you're going to become headliners? You're not going to be opening anymore? Yeah, so our last show with Beast in Black is in Detroit on May 2nd, I think it is, something like that. Let me just pull that up so I'm not talking out of my ass. <laughs> um, so, so much information to remember kind of makes it tough sometimes. Sure. So yeah, our last show, I was right, <laughs> is uh, May 2nd in Detroit with Beast and Black. And then uh, we do a little bit of headlining on the East Coast. So our only show after that is uh, in Brooklyn, um, and that's at Kingsland. Kingsland, right. Um, which is, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then we head up to Canada and make our way home. We do Quebec City, Montreal, Ottawa and uh winnipeg at the manitoba metal fest before we head home so it, it should be a lot of fun nice. i mean That's, we're, yeah, we're looking forward to it so yeah the whole beast and black tour i mean it's uh it's pretty crazy they're they're a fairly newish band um you know at least relatively speaking compared to you know bands that we normally tour with who are like from the 80s or 90s or whatever so it's cool to be touring with some younger bands especially ones that are, are getting so much success with them i mean like you look at their Spotify numbers or something, they have like a hundred times more uh, monthly listeners than us and stuff like that. So it's just like, oh shit. But that's great exposure. Yeah, that's what you really want though. Make an impact on the fans. So before we run through the albums, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your uh, influences, bands that um, basically form the sound of Striker, which to me is a very vintage 80s band that... uh, 
reminiscent and harkens back a lot of bands that I loved from the 80s, like Vicious Rumors, uh, Lizzie Borden, uh, those type of more aggressive but yet melodic uh, bands. W- were these bands that you guys were influenced by, or is it just by happenstance that you sound kind of like that? No, absolutely. We were influenced by all those types of bands, exactly. I mean, I remember uh, way back in like high school or whatever, 20 years ago, um, there was a show on Much Music, which is the equivalent of MTV, but the Canadian version. And uh, they had, uh, it's called Power Hour, and they just would play like 80s heavy metal. And I remember at the time, like, you know, you're 14, 15, whatever, and you don't really have, uh, you know, heavy old school, like thrash isn't played on the radio <laughs> in, you know, the early 2000s and stuff. And it's just like, you, you get your first taste of, you know, Iron Maiden, the number of the beast or like, uh, you know, some Judas priest and you're just like, Oh, what the hell is that? Right. Whoa. And he's like totally mind blowing, you know, hearing like old school Metallica when all you've heard is enter Sandman or whiskey in the jar. And it's just like, wait, this is Metallica. <laughs> right. And so, you know, it, it, uh, at least for me, it really, you know, uh, set me off on my, lifelong heavy metal journey and same for Dan. So Dan, Dan was really big while well, he still is, I guess <laughs> once a fan, always a fan, but he, he's also really big into uh, vicious rumors. Like you said, that's one of his favorite bands, but yeah, we we've all been uh, praying at the altar of heavy metal for decades here. We actually did a podcast with Dave Starr from uh, the original vicious rumors lineup a couple of weeks ago. Oh, nice. And before I set the whole thing up with Dave, I had been in contact with him for a while. And I told him, I said, I, I know of a band that reminds me a lot of you guys, like, you know, the, the Carl Albert late 80s sound that you guys had. And I, I sent him some of your songs and he didn't know the band and he was blown away by how good it was. And um, awesome. yeah, we've, um, we, we talked a lot about it, but what I have seen, one of the things that drew me to you guys when I, you know, found out about the band probably going back into the days of the early EPs was how uh, the vintage sound was really captured. And I know a lot of bands under this new wave of traditional heavy metal movement are going for that sound. And some get it, some don't, some miss the mark a little bit. But you guys have consistently, I thought, from every album, you know, some albums being a little heavier, some albums being a little not, not as heavy, but have captured the sound. And it's a hard sound to capture if you could talk about that yeah for sure i mean like i said that that's always been sort of a huge source of our uh influences i mean just for me in general like if you're looking at decades of music for me my favorite kinds of music has always been just 80s music in general i i think um you know when i i look at music i took some uh like popular music courses in university and stuff um, and I found it was really interesting, like in the forties and fifties, it's, it's a lot of sort of like big band stuff. And then you start to get into, uh, I guess like Elvis and the Beatles a little bit in the, in the sixties and whatnot. And, uh, that's sort of when there was a lot of, I would say experimental, I wouldn't call it like pop music, but popular music right so you know in the late 60s early 70s you get a lot of uh stuff where if you're listening to you know a top 40 rock radio or whatever there's actually a lot of really interesting well-made music in it not to say that you know modern music doesn't have those same kind of elements but i think you you know if you listen to like a boston album or something like that, that was something that was new and hip at the time or whatever, but all the people in the band, cause they're recording to tape. Right. I mean, they're awesome musicians that are like second to none. You like you take a band like Toto or, or something like that, right. you know, they had to do a good job. And it, the reason it sounds good is because they are really good musicians. They spent a lot of time, uh, with their music and a lot of those, um, the people in the band were the people actually making the music. They were the ones writing it, recording it, all that stuff. And I think that style of uh, music creation sort of peaked in the eighties. And I think that's kind of when it started to get really commercialized. 
uh, and you see a lot of the breakout success of people, you know, sort of like Madonna, who, yeah, she is performing the music, but that's when you see a lot of, I think that's when the, the music industry, right at the end of the 80s and early 90s, that's when it sort of changed to, um, you know, they saw the success of, of, of bands like, I don't know, New Kids on the Block or Madonna, I think right. is a good one, where they're getting other people to write the music for them, getting other people, they're like outsourcing all of the elements yeah. that a band from the 70s or 80s would have created themselves. I mean, if you look at a band like, I don't know, let's take Toto just because <laughs> we're fans Well, you're of preaching Toto. to the choir but with I mean, Toto. We're both mass- massive fans of Toto, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, they, they have so many kick-ass albums and so many kick-ass songs, and you're just like, wow, that's a, this is a really good, well-made music. And, uh, I mean, I, I like some modern music as well, like top 40 stuff or popular style music. But uh, I think they just sort of nailed it down and are making a lot of music, I would say almost algorithmically, where it's it's not quite the same as as uh, music from the past. So we've always been really interested in that kind of old school sound. And I think what it really comes down to is just having people playing music that are also... Uh, you know, spend a lot of time and are invested into the music and then also want to make it sound good. So I think that's that's a really easy thing to fall into making music nowadays is that everything is automated. You can make everything on your computer at home, I mean, which is what we do. But at the same time, it's really easy to get really lazy with it. Like, you could, you know, there's a lot of bands and I've been in studios where it happens where it's like, the guitar player isn't very good, but you know, due to the wonders of modern pro tools and whatnot, you can just punch in every single note right. and, you know, just fake it, which, you know, it sounds okay, but that's not going to be a replacement for actually having a good musician that can actually play. Um, so yeah. And then what happens yeah, when you go I just out think, live and try to play? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, uh, I think for us, just that old school sound is just something that resonated with us and sort of that, that way that you make the music as well. Um, I think a lot of other bands sort of in the in the genre, you know, contemporaries of ours, uh, there's a lot. And um, I think they do some, some good stuff too, but at the same time, at least for us, we've, we've always had a really big set of influences and we weren't necessarily afraid of exploring those where I think a lot of other bands are kind of like, Oh no, I I don't want to do anything too poppy. That's lame. And, and I think that's where a lot of bands, um, sort of aren't as maybe interesting to metal audiences. I mean, if you look at someone like Dio back in the day, like, yeah, he's heavy metal. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, I mean, like there's a lot of really great, just general, pop influences and when i say pop like if you talk to well i guess you can't talk to dio anymore but if you like watch it uh interviews and stuff like he's a huge beatles fan same with like black sabbath you know like ozzy always talks about how much he likes uh the beatles and that a lot of those bands from the 80s had those influences from earlier in time like i was talking about so I, we're we're big fans of both the eighties bands and the, the bands that they were influenced by. I, th- I can't remember who said it, but if you want to be, if you want to make music like a band or an artist, you have to be listening to the music that influenced them and not the music that they made. So if you want to sound like Metallica, you know, you don't listen to Metallica necessarily. You're going to be wanting to listen to Metallica's influences yeah. and, and try to, you know, recreate how they got there. So it's, uh, and I mean, that that was what we did. So, I mean, I remember when I got into heavy metal and same with Dan, it's kind of like you you find your sort of gateway bands and you're like, oh, cool. Like, I remember Metallica and then, you know, you start to read up on it a little bit. Oh, who are their influences? You know, Diamond Head. Okay, cool. What the hell is that? I'll go check that out. Right. Or same with like Iron Maiden or Judas Priest. It's like, oh, who, who did they tour with back in the day? Oh, cool. I'll check that out. So that, that's sort of what we did. Just looking for heavy metal and i mean we 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 got super deep into it back in the day you know uh just underground filthy disgusting metal heads uh just you know 
having our scholarly talks about heavy metal history. <laughs> well, I did so, the same uh, thing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny that you, what you said a minute ago, because as a fan, I did the same thing. When I got into a band, like I, I was, as you were talking about that, I was thinking of a band like Dream Theater that I really got into yeah. in, in the 90s, you know, and, and I think about it when I got so into them, I said, you know, where did they get their sound from? And I went back and I started looking at some of the stuff that they were influenced by, just like you said. So that's really interesting that you as a band member is, are looking the same way at that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, there's basically an infinite amount of music out there and it's really hard to kind of filter out what you want and what you don't want. I've found like if I'm just on like Spotify, for example, and I go to the, metal playlist or whatever that Spotify puts on, like that's not metal that I want to listen to, <laughs> yeah. at least for me personally. And so for me, the best way to find music isn't to go to these like editorials or whatever. It's ask either my friends who, you know, I enjoy their taste of music or uh, just looking at bands that are related to other bands that I like. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're looking at, band x and then you go check out the spotify or there's, there's a lot of resources now uh, like even their wikipedia and stuff it's like you can see who they tour with you can see who they were influenced by all that kind of stuff it's like okay i'm gonna go check out bands like that band yeah so yeah that's that's sort of what we do these days and it's it's great these days it's never been easier to check out music i mean when i was getting into music that's right around when napster first popped up yeah. and you know i remember being like trying to download these obscure like old school 80s metal albums and whatever and then you know you spend all night downloading the album and you listen to it and someone had mislabeled it and it's like <laughs> missing a song or something <laughs> screwed up so it's 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 way better now and it's, uh, yeah, it's just a lot easier to check out music and find what you like and what you don't like. Yeah. Well, you're from a country that has probably, in my opinion, back in the 80s, was the best underground metal bands were out of Canada. Uh, you know, whether it was Kick Axe, Helix, uh, Coney Hatch, there, there were just an endless amount of, of great bands that really never made it big, but had a loyal following that that played the same type of music that that you guys are doing right now yeah for sure i mean uh, like i said the uh, the canada's um version of mtv much music where i was listening to that power hour they played a lot of the canadian stuff too so i definitely got a, a good uh, history lesson there on all the old school canadian bands and it's cool because we played with a lot of them like we played some really awesome shows with annihilator uh played with bands like anvil and stuff like that so we've uh it's cool that we can you know you see these guys on tv like years ago or whatever when you're getting into music and then you end up playing with them and which is really awesome i wanted to ask you also how much was the new wave of Brit you mentioned diamond head how much was the new wave of british heavy metal uh, an influence for you and, and other guys in the band? Uh, that's a huge influence. I think it's probably, well, I guess the new wave of British heavy metal was a huge influence on like the eighties thrash scene, especially like the Bay area thrash stuff. And I really enjoyed the Bay area thrash bands, you know, Metallica, Megadeth and stuff. Um, and then like I was talking about sort of investigating their influences and then, you know, checking out uh, bands like Tigers of Pantang or obviously oh like the yep. bigger ones mm -hmm. like uh, Iron Maiden or Priest. I mean, those, those are two awesome bands that I love. But there's, yeah, there's like thousands of bands that <laughs> we we checked out. I mean, I remember my, my old school like computer friggin' like 20 years ago, you know, just gigabytes of music that i torrented or downloaded off napster or whatever and it's all this is like old school weird stuff that you know i'm i remember having like a friend who they said oh what are you listening to oh check it out it's it's freaking Def leopard's very first album right <laughs> and then they're like oh okay you want to listen to it and they're like oh this sounds terrible because <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot of those old school met uh metal albums in particular like back in the early '80s, the the like mixing and mastering technology isn't 
comparable to what you can produce today. So especially if you're not used to that kind of sound, it's, it's hard to listen to. I well, mean, there, there was a label like, in the UK called Ebony Records, which was had had some of the great bands of that era, but their production was. If you ever listened to the first two Grim Reaper albums, oh yeah, Grim Reaper's awesome, awesome. But those first two albums, <laughs> the production is just. I mean, it, it it becomes campy and almost like likable after the years. But I remember back. I mean, I'm old enough. That I remember when those records came out, and it was the production was almost like laughable. It was so bad. But the material was so great, and, <laughs> yeah. and Grimmins' vocals, uh, you know, w- w- made it. But yeah, the production on a lot of that stuff was very, very lacking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, definitely. That's that's a cool thing that I really like about modern music is that the production is really great. So you know, you put it on, and your like speakers explode, <laughs> <laughs> right? Compared to old school music. But yeah, Grim Reaper's awesome. So is Lionheart. Um, Yes, that that uh, yeah, that was Lionheart records. Sort of yeah. next bag. I actually got to see him. Tunes. He played in um, in Brooklyn also. About I think about 2013, 2014, before he had his medical issues, and um, yeah, I had also seen him in Lamours in the 80s, and his his vocals hadn't changed at all. He was just tremendous, and the crowd was. Packed to the gills, you couldn't get in the door. Yeah, the Grimmett has always been, I thought, like one of the the unsung great singers of of that new wave of uh, British heavy metal scene. Yeah, for sure. I, I was always taken aback by how awesome of a singer he was. Uh, well, is um, but like that old stuff is it's so awesome. <laughs> I just like they're they'd be super catchy. Yes. Um, yes. Metal, but it's also like there's so many hooks in it. So yeah, Grim Reaper is a uh, big fan of Grim Reaper, especially growing up. I think there's a yeah, there's a what the hell is this song? On one of uh, the Striker albums, there's a uh, I think it's it's one of the I EPs. I, um, I actually have yeah, the vinyl of cover. it. Yeah, that there was you, there was. You a, wish you were never born. Exactly. That's right off the third album. Yes. There was yeah. on one of the the early EPs. There was a, a cover of that. So what yeah, I wanted sure. to do now is um, trying to work backwards with some of the albums, starting with uh, "Play to Win." If you could tell us a little bit about um, the, the recording and the songwriting and uh, how the whole album came together. Yeah, well, uh, for that album, we we just writing tunes. I mean, what we usually do is uh, we, everybody just writes whatever music they want, and then uh, we sort of get together and we go through all the different demos that we had, and I think we had probably, let's call it about 50, so it's not necessarily like a fully finished song, but, you know, 50 ideas. Um, and then we kind of narrow out most of it. I think we came down to like 15 or 20 songs, and then we worked on that, and then it's like, okay, and then you do another round of cuts, and you get down to like 12 songs maybe i mean we're like okay let's let's work on these songs and then eventually cut it down to what's on the album so on that one there's 10 songs and we just kind of that's that's sort of how we uh wrote the songs and and yeah it's uh since we went independent uh split ways with napalm records we've um just been recording ourselves so we're all really good recording engineers and stuff ourselves so everybody has the ability to record themselves we're all really good at that kind of stuff so we've been self-producing and self-recording for the last three albums and then also our newest one and yeah we we just sort of take the same process but especially with our our newer stuff play to win and our new upcoming album we've been really taking a, a fine tooth comb to it and really spending a lot more time i think one thing that we really tried to do and play to win was fill out every song. So like every section has hooks. Every section has something that's interesting, you know, just something that catch the ear. Uh, whereas maybe in the past, you know, you write a song and you kind of like, I don't know, it sounds good. And you just kind of put stuff together and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think with Play to Win in particular, we really started using the uh, my favorite songwriting tool, which is the garbage can. <laughs> and if a song or a part of a song doesn't work, just get rid of it. So that's sort of what we've been doing a lot more. And instead of trying to like 
polish a turd, as they say. Right. Just get rid of the turd, man. Just flush it. <laughs> now, it's a very concise so, record. I, I, I liked it a lot. There was no weak songs on it, and I thought it flowed really well. And I I, I think some, there was a little bit of, uh, I don't want to use the word commercial, but there was a little commercial um, atmosphere of some of the songs, which I think is is good in the sense of like we were talking about Dio. If you look at the third Dio album, Sacred Heart, which is my favorite album, it was some of the songs were more accessible, and I think that's yeah, yeah, that's a good. Sure. When you have a single like that, you have in 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 your band, I I think you should take full advantage of that and do heavy stuff, light stuff, uh, progressive stuff. Because when you have a guy with those pipes and you're writing those type of good songs, it, you could you could run the gamut of styles. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's sort of what we we do. We usually just end up writing music that we like. Um, and then recording our favorites out of it. So, and like I said, we, we like all kinds of music. So, um, I know a lot of bands, obviously if you're, you're in a professional band, you, you know, love music and whatnot, but I think a lot of bands kind of get scared of diving into music that isn't, uh, you know, like badass metal or whatever. So for, for us, we're not, we listen to all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> you know, you're stuck in a van for eight hours a day on tour you got to listen to something. So we, we try out all kinds of different songs on the road, just listening to stuff in the van. And uh, some of it's really great and it has nothing to do with metal. It's just like weird, whatever. And uh, we've always been trying to put those influences in. And I think that hopefully it makes our music a little bit more interesting to listeners. Well, I think it keeps you from falling into like a uh, a very specified uh, where people know what what the next record is going to sound like. It's going to be cut from the same exact mold as the record before that. And I think that is kind of a trap that a lot of young bands that I listen to fall into. They get the one record that gets some moderate degree of success, and then it's a cookie cutter. And you guys haven't been like that. As we go through the the, the next couple of albums, I'll I'll expound on it a little bit more, but. You've run the run the gamut from like real heavy, but yet still catchy, and then more commercial hard rock also, which kind of mixes it up. And like for me, I, I like that. Yeah, for sure. Like like I mentioned, Toto was a huge influence, especially when we were uh, writing "Play to Win." So there's, I mean, obviously Toto has some huge commercial hits, uh, and so for us, it was just you know we like those songs just because they're. Uh, you know, just because they went number one or whatever, right? Doesn't mean that they're. I think a lot of people would be like, "Oh, like top forty song, that's lame. We're not going to listen to it." But for us, we're just like, "Yeah, that's a right. badass now, song." If, if you Call say that, is, yeah, right? you're not listening. I, I actually saw an interview with Luke at the one time, and I always remember this thing he said: "To be heavy, you don't have to be loud. You don't have to yeah. be, you know, breaking down the walls to be heavy. Certain songs are just heavy, and they're not, you know." speed metal or it's just a groove sometimes or a guitar break or, or a vocal phrasing that uh could define it and actually be something that in its own right is heavy for sure so we're going to move to the next record which was uh 2017 striker if you could talk a little yep. bit about that one yeah in that one uh again sort of similar writing process we we sort of been writing music in generally the same kind of way um the whole time we've been making music. Uh, that one, I think our first couple of songs that we, we wrote for that one were Former Glory and uh, Pass Me Born by. to Lose, which are... Born to Lose. Yeah, right. yeah. Those are our first couple songs that we wrote for that, and we're kind of like, hey, these are pretty badass. Well, let's write more music like this. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's kind of... Again, we were big into Toto at the time, and uh, it was kind of interesting because... Um, we did Stand in the Fire, which is the album before that, the self-titled album, which is the one we're talking about, and then Play to Win. We put out three albums in three years, and it was just kind of like, go, go, go. And um, as I mentioned that we record all of our stuff at home, it's pretty easy for us to pump out music once we everybody agrees that we like it. So it's uh, we, we had released Stand in the Fire, was really successful. We got some really good opportunities like touring with Primal Fear, 
uh, doing some festivals over in Europe. I think we did our first uh, U.S. tour as well with uh, artillery. And it was just really motivating. And so we got off the road from that stuff. And I'm like, well, what else are we going to do? We don't have a tour lined up. Let's just record another album. So that's just kind of what we did. And uh, it turned out pretty good. There, there's some weirdness in the mix for us, but uh, it's it turned out pretty good. We, we got nominated for a Juno for that al- album. So that's uh, a Canadian Grammy, basically. So that right. was really exciting. It's kind of, st- I thought, style-wise similar to... Um play to win it's uh song songwriting i thought was kind of similar maybe a little more again a little bit more commercial than the two records before it that we're going to get to yeah for sure well i think in that one we uh it's sort of i guess we sort of matured as people and we're kind of like hey you know it's it's okay to give in to your cheesier influences you know you don't have to be scared of it who cares right it's just music it's not like I remember being in like elementary school and Backstreet Boys and like Spice Girls came out. And if, if, if you dared say that you enjoyed it, you'd be like bullied <laughs> incessantly. And it's like, whatever, man, we're, we're all in our thirties now. Nobody cares if, if you like, and you know, whatever. what? At the, at the end so. of the day, it's, it's the quality of the song. It, it, re, it really is. The, yeah. the, the lasting power of, of any great band has been the quality of the song. So I, whether, you know, you're talking Dio, Led Zeppelin, they all had commercial songs that to this day people adore and, you know, had great success while they had their hard side too. And that's one of the things I, I like about the band is that you recognize you could do commercial songs and also, you know, play really hard and heavy also. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're we're big fans of uh, like pop music in general. I, again, it's it's sort of like any genre of music. You don't like everything. Like I certainly don't like every metal song that I hear. No, um, same with pop music. I mean, there's there's lots of pop music that I really like, and there's some stuff that I absolutely cannot stand. So right. <laughs> it it really depends. But uh, yeah, I think on that uh, the self titled album. We, we really just sort of embrace that a little bit more. So now we move to Stand in the Fire, which is a, a, a kind of a different beast from, from the two albums after that. If you could talk to us a little bit about that and the recording process and songwriting and influences. Yeah, you bet. So on that one, that was our first independent album. So uh, we had been on Napalm Records before that. And, you know, it was up to... Uh, time for we, we had completed our contract and we we're on sort of our options and they gave us an offer and we're just like hell no <laughs> and uh yeah we we just it it took a little longer to get out than we um had planned because we you know go independent you gotta make all these mistakes and figure out how to do it and especially at that time there weren't too many independent bands metal bands like i remember just trying to get tours or work with promo companies and stuff. People are like, oh, you're not on label? Mm, I don't know. But I mean, these days it's the norm. I mean, yes. all of our friends that are in bands, even bands that are way bigger than us, they, you know, there's like, oh man, screw labels. I can't wait till my contract's over so I can go independent. Why would you ever be on a label? And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I agree with that. So, um, it's, uh, I mean, once you get to a state where you absolutely can't handle all of the business activities that are going on, then yeah, it does make sense to be on a label. But until you get there, there's, especially nowadays, there's no reason for it. So we sort of saw the writing on the wall back then and we just wanted to take our music into our own hands. And, you know, we had shopped around a little bit, you know, send demos out and then you get your typical label response from the music, and they're like, "Oh, what is this? This sucks." But that's just a mark. That's a that's just a bargaining tactic. They're like, "Yeah, your your music is poor quality, mm-hmm. so we're gonna give you, you know, only a thousand bucks for a record deal, and then we're gonna take all of your money right. and just kind of like, man, go to hell." Mm-hmm. So th- that's that's why we haven't really been too interested in labels these days. But uh, but yeah, for for that album, it was pretty similar to, to our other albums, just write a bunch of tunes, see what works and what doesn't. And then we just recorded it on our own. And that was, that was sort of our first take at recording things on our own. 
and um, it's a little rough around the edges uh, in some spots, but I think we did a pretty good job. Everybody, you know, just worked on it until it was good and just have like, uh, just try to be open to new experiences and techniques and stuff with that album. And I think it turned out pretty good. I think that's a lot of people. That's one of their favorite albums. I like that album a lot too. It's, it's heavy as hell, but it, it, it keeps a a lot of mel. It has probably my favorite song. uh, Phoenix lights is on that. And there's an obscure cover that you guys did. And I've always been curious to know how you even stumbled across this band called China. (laughs) And the song was called oh, yeah. uh, Sign in the Sky. Me and Mark are both big mm-hmm. China fans, yeah. but it's a very obscure uh, Swiss band. And when you covered that band, I was like, how the hell did these guys even know about this? <laughs> we know about all kinds of weird music, man. Like, <laughs> That's cool. It, we, we've heard it all. So, yeah, that, that China song, I think it turned out really, really well. And it I did. think it's actually one of my favorite uh, guitar solos, at least, that I've done and i was like it's a brilliant song and that whole album is just uh but that band never took i mean i don't think there's 20 people in the united states that even know who that band is but (laughs) yeah yeah you know they were pretty big in in parts of europe and and we were we were both into them and that's when i saw that you guys covered that i was like where the hell did they come up with this but you did a great job on it because i was a huge fan of that band and the original version of the song is tremendous so to do a good cover on it you really had to nail it and, and you did yeah, yeah, thanks. I'm I'm glad you dig it. But yeah, like I said, we listen to all kinds of weird stuff and when when we were back in high school and you know, late teens, early twenties, it was just like we're basically the heavy metal version of Gandalf, you know, just going through the old text. Just digging digging no, stuff I mean, you, up. No, you're preaching to the choir here. We're, we're both the same way. I've been that way my whole life. All right, we're gonna move to City of Gold which is another uh, interesting record for, for me personally. I, I wanted to get your feelings on that. Yeah, that was uh, my first album with the band. We uh, had written a whole bunch of songs, sort of similar to how we did the other ones. And then we went, uh, we did a European tour. And then right after the European tour was done, we went straight into the studio at uh, Studio Fredman with uh, Frederick Nordstrom, who did a bunch of our other stuff. Um, And he's a producer that did like all the Gothenburg, Swedish melodic death metal stuff. Um, So we... That, that was where we sort of really wanted to get into a more modern sound. So that's why we went with them. And uh, it, it, that was our last time in a, a big studio, I guess. But it was, a, it was a good experience. It was it was a little different because at least for the last couple of albums that we've done, we got to, you know, just sit and screw around and experiment to your heart's content. But when you're in a studio, you know, it's $1,000 a day. You got you to gotta perform. <laughs> so we were there for about a month recording and it was a really great time but it's it was like uh off in an industrial section of Gothenburg so it's kind of like we're we're just in this warehouse all day every day and the the only exciting thing that we would do was like walk down to the grocery store and buy beer (laughs) (laughs) so there wasn't too much going on but yeah there's some uh good striker tunes on it but uh yeah we're we're that was our first foray into a, like a heavier uh, mixing and mastering. Probably the heavy. Would you say it's the heaviest striker album? Certainly, has the gain on the guitar amps cranked up the most. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought so too. I, I love that "City of Gold" again. One of my favorite songs. The whole album was really, really strong songs, and different from some of the albums later on because it was real heavy, but also maintained, you know, the the great vocals and and the riffs which is everything. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to wind up moving into actually some albums that, or EPs that you weren't on, but your, your brother was, so we could still talk about them. One of, one of them happens to be my favorite striker album, which was Arm to the Teeth. And, um, that's a good one. Yeah. That is a real good one. That's my favorite album by the band. Oh, nice. I thought that record kind of really merged in the commercial, you know, catch you right away songs but with that real Judas Priest late seventies, you know, chuggalug guitars and 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 it really got that the both ends of of the band together on this album. I thought. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good album. The uh, I joined the band right after that album came out, so I did all all the touring, and I think we ultimately I think we we played every single one of those songs live at some point, which is 
we certainly haven't done that for any album since then. But yeah, it's a lot of great tunes on it. That oh, one was yeah. done with uh, Michael, Michael Wagner was the producer mm-hmm. and he recorded it um, in Nashville. So, I mean, that was a guy that was doing all your favorite Aussie, all your favorite yep. Yep. Skid Row, stuff like that. So uh, mixed, I think it was Master Puppet, stuff like that. So super pro guy. I think, uh, you know, Dan and Chris and Adam, you know, they, they love telling stories about all the cool things that they learned uh, recording with them. Um, like I said, he's a super pro guy. Yeah, he really had that, you know, old school sound, which is it, it, re- I, I, I really think that's the thing that got me with this. The songs were not only so good, but it really had, you could fool people and play this and say, you know, this is a band you never heard of. They, you know, put this out in 87. And I think yeah, you, yeah, would, you sure. would fool most people. You really don't, I don't, you know, that's how, how much it had that vintage sound. And it, yeah, it that's also what, that's had, what we were going for. yeah, and it had, you know, like something like Lethal Force, which was a total vicious rumors type of, you know, with the chanting choruses. And, th- and then you had something like really melodic and catchy, like Fight for Your Life, which just had such a great riff and, and was much more mellow, you know, not as heavy as like something like Lethal Forces or Let It Burn. This was a mm-hmm, great record. It sure. was real. I, th- I think this record set the stage for the band for what they are today. I think it put, put you guys on the map. For sure, yeah. We, we had a lot of really great uh, response from that. So, uh, like I said, I joined and was touring that album. So, uh, yeah, lots of people loved it. It's uh, lots of great tunes on there, for sure. So then there were the two EPs before that, the uh, the Road Warrior and the Eyes and the Night, which they actually, in Japan, they combined them and made it a CD, as, as a bonus CD, when they... Uh, put out this this record we were just talking about. And I wanted to ask you, how did your brother originally, I know he was in the band before you, how did he uh, meet with Dan and how did you get recruited into the band? Well, well we're all uh, we're all roughly the same age. We're all from the same city, Edmonton, uh, which is on the western side of Canada. Um, it's a pretty small metal scene, I guess, in western Canada. So, like, everybody knows everybody else. Everybody's played together at shows and whatever. So um, my brother and I were in a band for a long time together uh, called Six Gun, and uh, we had played sh- shows with Stryker. Um, before they were Stryker, uh, they were in a band called Final Spine. And so, like, when we're, we're all in high school playing together at, like, these, you know, crappy... <laughs> bars and whatever mm-hmm. sneaking in and uh you know playing to the local you know patch ticket crew and uh yeah so we've been playing together and being friends for years yeah when striker came out i i remember there was uh i went to their album well i went to all their album release shows because like i said we're, we're good friends i'll i'll play together and stuff and uh yeah it was just badass like i remember the eyes in the night album release show here at uh, a venue called Starlight Room and it was just like super badass I remember being in the crowd watching and I was like oh fuck yeah this is awesome and it was great too because it was uh, there there was a lot of sort of hype around the band they got signed to uh, a German label called Iron Codex which was really cool because at the time none of our you know we're all young musicians and nobody's signed to a label or you know made that jump yet to sort of professional um music industry status so it was really cool to see a local band do that and they were getting success you know they were playing european festivals and stuff so it was just super cool to be around that and then yeah the you know it's it's hard to say no when an opportunity to play in a band like that comes along it's like hey man you want to do this it's like oh yeah i mean that's what i want to do for my whole life right so that's uh that's so you were basically, basically waiting for why we all joined you were waiting for the invite <laughs> yeah so to speak i mean <laughs> i was in a different band at the time called uh cobra and the lotus which is from calgary which is uh i guess the next nearest city and so we'd been doing like big tours as well and stuff but uh yeah it was really cool when they asked me and i was like oh hell yeah sign me up and now you've become the second uh, longest tenured member in the band yeah, yeah. Look at me now. So I, I, I've wrapped up everything I could possibly. I mean, I could ask you a lot more, but I know you're under time constraints. And um, 
Yeah. I will see you in May when you're in Brooklyn for the third time. And awesome. I will uh, seek you out before you go on stage, and we'll talk a little bit. And um, it's it's been a great pleasure. I, I think Mark wants to maybe wrap up a few things with you. Yeah. No. No. I was just gonna say thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, it was a great. I know Tom really enjoyed us because he is just a huge Striker fan. He's talked about you guys for for a long How time long? to me. <laughs> From yeah, day one. So, so I know it's great for him to be able to talk to you. And uh, yeah, no, we appreciate your time. You know, I know you got to get going. You got to get out on tour soon. And uh, where can uh, where can everybody who wants to find out about the band? Do you have a website that you, uh, they can visit? Yeah, our website is striker metal com and so that's our that's our handle on all social media and stuff so facebook twitter instagram you name it we're on it uh we're on all the major uh music platforms apple music spotify title whatever it is we're on it so uh so yeah check it out we'll have new music coming we should have uh we have a a warm-up show in toronto on march 5th and i think we'll have a new song out for that so we'll have a new song out in just a week or two here so keep your eyes and ears open Definitely for that and we'll have another one right before the beast of black tour starts Excellent. Good. Good stuff. Well, thanks a lot, Tim. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll definitely be plugging all your social sites there on our site. And uh, thanks again. Awesome, man. Looking forward to having a drinky poo with you guys. I, I definitely will see you in May. <laughs> so. some beers. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Take definitely. care, Tim. Be well. Cheers. Good have luck on day. the tour. Bye bye. Thanks, man. All right.